Good morning, everybody. Edward told us something nice that when we Kenyans pass greetings, we wave. He should have also told you that we Kenyans also like appreciating, like everybody else, the goodness of God. And so every time, whether it is a church affair or not, we like starting by saying God is good. And I think I've told you that before. So if I say God is good, you know the bit. God is good. Come on. One more time. God is good. All the time. All the time. Let us pray. Living God, may the words of my mouth and the corporate meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. Now, when the Lord made the first covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17, he said to him, I will make of you a great nation. But that covenant had a caveat in it, in that this great nation will be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years before they could finally inherit the promised land. And last week, Peter set the scene in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the Exodus narrative, and we saw the birth of Moses in slavery in Egypt. Now, as we resume the story today, Moses is a grown-up man living in the Midian wilderness. And the Lord has heard the cry of his people, and he wants to send Moses to go and rescue them because he has remembered his promise to Abraham. Now, Moses' life from birth to death, as compared to most of us, was very dramatic. I don't know anyone who is set afloat down the Nile only to wind up living with the Pharaoh. And I certainly don't know anyone who has led his or her own tribe for 40 years in the wilderness. It's very difficult. Human beings are very difficult people. I I tried to round up my own clan to come to the United Kingdom, and I couldn't. I only managed three, my wife and two children. (laughs) But... We are introduced to a more down-to-earth Moses, someone leading a fairly ordinary life. He has a wife, children, and he has a steady job. In fact, Moses seems to be living a life that even though historically and contextually different from ours, we can all very much relate to. And so we encounter him today at his place of work in the desert, looking after his father's in-law's sheep, when suddenly Moses sees a burning bush. And from this bush comes a voice calling out his name, Moses. And Moses responds, here I am. Now, I know many folks here today, whether they'll want to admit it or not, speak to their plants and flowers when they are gardening. I do. Now you look to your right and you look to your left. You make sure there's nobody within a hearing distance 
before you initiate this monologue. Hello, Mr. Potato. I see you caught frost last night. Well, this is all very well. But have your plants ever spoken back to you? Well, if mine did, trust me, even Usain Bolt would not catch me. (laughs) But to get a better perspective of what Moses may have seen, I want you to imagine those ones of you who live here in Cambon, that you're walking or jogging on Crow Hill in the morning. And then you see a shrubbery on fire. Now, being the echo warrior you are, you go to investigate. And when you get near, you hear somebody yelling your name from inside the burning bush. What would you do? I'll tell you what I'll do. I call the fire brigade. I call the police. I call the army. I'll call Peter Wood. And if he doesn't pick the phone, I'll call Ian. Come quick. Somebody is burning to death in that bush. And yet, Moses, when seeing this burning bush, says something I find profoundly mystical, deeply religious, and very, very calming. He says, here I am. Now, most people I know would have taken off. Now, God will often get our attention by causing uncommon events to happen in our lives. We may call them coincidences. But trust me, these are not mere chance events. It's God's way of tapping us on the shoulders so that we can sit up and listen to what he has to say. What happened that day changed Moses' life forever. And this is something that can happen to each and every one of us when God reveals himself to us. Like when he appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus or to John Wesley in the meeting in Aldergate Street when he was given the assurance of sins forgiven. God has a way of touching ordinary lives that they become very extraordinary lives. And it's hard to imagine that God could talk to us from a bush all from the ordinary objects in our lives. And yet he did so. Then with Moses through a burning bush, with Balaam through a donkey, and even with Peter through a roaster. And he continues to do so even with us today. God speaks to us every day in the voices of our families and friends. He speaks to us from the pages of a good book, or a magazine. He speaks to us from the television sets and movie theaters. And even in the solitude of our daily walks and works, we can hear the voice of God. And sometimes you even hear God from the places where you least expect him to be. From the voices and the lives of some people in our society. Others would rather ignore or forcibly try to silence because what they have to say may change the status quo. People like Jesus, John the Baptist, Bishop Oscar Romero, Amnesty International, and so on. 
But perhaps this discomfort, this fear, is to be expected when somebody hears God's voice. When Moses heard God's call, he became immediately fearful and hid his face. And when God charged him with the responsibility of going to take, to bring the children of Israel from Egypt, Moses is both scared and disagreeable. Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? See, Moses had listened to God speak to him from a burning bush. Now, he had listened to God as God told him that he was going to send him to Egypt. So now, Moses asked a very reasonable question. Lord, maybe you don't know, but 40 years ago, I tried to help my own people. And they didn't want my help. And the Pharaoh, that one you mentioned, wanted to kill me. So I fled here. As you can see, I've got a job. It may not be very posh, but at least I'm able to feed Zipporah and the boys. So who am I that I should leave what I've become and who I am to go back to Egypt? Now, God answered Moses' question of who am I with an I am answer. To be fair, Moses' question was reasonable. But it wasn't who Moses was. Rather, it was who God is that mattered. And in that respect, we are no different from Moses. We are all broken vessels and unworthy of being called to his service. But his grace, his grace is enough to cleanse us of any ill, inability, or crime and make us worthy for service in his kingdom wherever and whenever that mission may be. Now I want you to imagine that you are the president of a small country or a big country for that matter. And your people have been held hostage somewhere by a dictator. And you are going through the CVs of several people whom you may want to send so that they can go and rescue your people who are held there. And among the CVs you see mm, a five-star general, an accomplished ambassador, a suave politician like Tony Blair. And you go on and then you reach to one of Moses. Mm, 80 years old, a fugitive from justice, wanted for murder in Egypt, the very place you intended to send him. And I'll be honest, would you really send him? Probably not. Yet when it was time for God to send a person to go and save his people from the yokes of slavery in Egypt, this is the person he chose. To us humans, it doesn't make much sense. But to God, it was all a part of a greater plan. When God chose to reach out to this world for himself, he looked around and decided that even broken people like Moses made good candidates for his work. And even today, he has saved each and every one of us here to be workers in his kingdom for his glory. 
But when that realization dawns on us, we start to make excuses and give reasons just like Moses. Moses' first concern is that he's a nobody and he's therefore unqualified to go to Pharaoh and demand the release of God's people. Many people in the church feel the same way. We feel that we are not as qualified as someone else or that we don't have the ability to get the job done properly. We give up even before we start, forgetting one important truth. God chose us. And therefore, to say that we are not able to do the job is to signify that God doesn't know what he's doing. And that, my brothers and sisters, is not the truth. God's response to Moses was to give him two promises. First, he told Moses, I will go with you. You're not going to go alone. I will go with you. Secondly, he says, after you have accomplished what I've sent you to do, you come back here and you will worship with me here. Now, if we hold those two promises together, then we can safely make four conclusions. One, if God has called us, he has done so with the full knowledge of our weaknesses and our inabilities. If God has called us to, he knows that we can accomplish the task through his powers. Number three, when he sends us out to do his work, he never sends us alone. And number four, after the work has ended, he will gather us unto himself. And we shall experience his great presence forever and ever. Now, these two promises can both be found in John 14 and Revelation 23. So, if your excuse for not doing God's work is one of inability, then perish the thought. Now, after telling God of his inabilities, Moses moved on to talk of his inadequacies. And here again, most of us, we are not any different from Moses. Not only do we feel that we are incapable of serving the Lord the way we should be, but we feel that sometimes we don't know enough about God to be able to do the job he has given us. We look at our lack of education, our physical handicap, our names, our income, our ethnic background, and so on and so on. And all these reasons are so that we can avoid God's radar. In truth, these are not legitimate reasons for avoiding to do God's work. Whatever your shortcomings, God was well aware of it before he sent you to do any job for him. Therefore, our duty, all of us, is to yield to his hand and allow, allow him a free reign in our lives. God's response to Moses was to remind them he is the great I am. While Moses was inadequate, the God who was sending him and equipping him to do that job was not inadequate. God is in essence saying to Moses, and indeed to each and every one of us here, just do as I say, and I will show you who I am as when you need me to. Now this is the way I've chosen to interpret this text today. And I invite all of you to test this reading in light of your daily walks with God. 
and see whether it applies to your life. You do not need to wait for a burning bush or a talking donkey like Baram to be able to hear God's word or to discern his calling. Having encountered the living God in the form of a burning bush, Moses is asked to take off his shoes. Now, in a manner, he, he is being asked to take off his old life and don on a new life. The same way Master Hayden and Jack took on a new life through the waters of baptism. Now, through baptism, they have put on a new life through Christ. Their ordinary lives, just like that of Moses, will be transformed by the Holy Spirit of God into extraordinary life. And if you as a parent and we as a community allow our Lord to rule the hearts of these children by nurturing them, teaching them, and allowing them to grow as Christians, then they will accomplish mighty works of grace and they will tell future generations of how God was good to them and how many good things he has done. That, my dear friends, is the same promise for every one of us here today who responds to a burning bush in their lives with the words, Here I am, Lord. Amen.